The Tesla Gigafactory, the largest factory of its kind in the world, is being built at a breakneck speed. The production facility is nestled in the hills east of Reno, Nevada, and is joined by other mega-industrial complexes being constructed in the northern Nevada desert. Just about each month, the local Economic Development Authority announces a new company coming to Reno, bringing with it the need to fill new jobs. Switch and Apple have also come to the area, and workers for the construction trades are in high demand. How that is shaking out in northern Nevada is the subject of debate. Tesla top dog Elon Musk insists the factory's presence is a net positive for the area. Nevada is not paying for this facility. Um, the the 1.3 billion or so, which is the maximum tax incentive that Tesla could get over 20 years, um, so, an, so an average of like maybe you know 50 or 60 million dollars a year, um, is, is is a tiny fraction of what this factory's output would be. Um, so at the 50 gigawatt hour level, this is like a a $5 billion a year uh, factory output, um, we think it'll probably be at least two, probably three times that number. So it's like $15 billion a year. You compare that to a tax incentive of $50 million, and it's, you know, it's 0.3, It doesn't move, it, I mean, it, it was important that Nevada offer that package just to show that they cared. It is undeniable that economic growth is rapidly occurring in the Reno area. However, many are questioning whether the poorest of the poor are being left behind. This is the Solutions Podcast, where we examine complex problems and hope to find solutions for them. I am Bob Conrad. The bed bugs have been here for over a year. Years over a year um, and nothing has been done except some powder sprinkled here and there nothing real to handle it um, if you'd like I've got the back open if you want to just come up through and see the conditions it's a it's, warm spring Friday I was just tipped off to a slew of evictions happening west of downtown Reno up to 10 residents I was told are being kicked to the curb two boarding houses had sold for more than a half million dollars and the previous landlord had put up eviction notices on doors of its residents, giving some less than a week to find a new place to live. Many of the residents had been there for years. The problem? Those residents, who had been paying less than $400 a month for squalid living conditions, cannot find a new place to live at that price. Jennifer Cassidy with the Reno Initiative for Shelter Inequality was on hand. The bed bugs, and then, of course, the way that it was handled. There is no affordable housing, especially in this area. So if, you're, if you've been here for years and you start looking, um, the cheapest one that I've managed to get anybody in is $600. Um, and it's not affordable. And um, even then, those who those who can find places or even those who have money um, run into barriers like if you have felonies if you don't have excellent credit if you have missed any rent at all if um, uh, if you don't have a bank account full of money if you don't make three times the rent it's really difficult to find a place so to only give five to thirty days notice for people who've been here for years on very limited income is, is, should be criminal. My name is Bernard. B-E-R- Cassidy is with a man named Bernard, one of those evicted. 
and, you, and you're retired? Uh, I did so many years in prison that when I did get out, I qualified for SSI because of my disabilities and this, that, and the other. So, yeah, basically I am retired because I'm 65. Most of the people here are disabled to one degree or another. And just like Jennifer would spend time looking for a place to stay because the tests, these different organizations coming here to establish themselves, all these hotels and motels, they already taken. So what are you going to do, stick us out in the streets? The property's new owner is a corporation out of Colorado. Here is Jim Buchanan of Gold Dust West speaking on behalf of Jacobs Entertainment. We have a property manager for all these different properties that we have here in town. And so we had our property manager go over there. And I went over there myself and we met with the um, previous owner. And then we... Um, took all his notices off and put notices on their door saying that, no, they don't have to leave right away. Um, that was never our intention. That wasn't in the contract, you know. And um, we didn't uh, we didn't ever push people out onto the street kind of a thing. So um, we told them we would, you know, work with them and um, relocating them, finding other accommodations, because in the long run we're planning on probably taking those places down or either remodeling them or taking them down, all these different properties. In fact, relocation assistance was not known to the residents until this conversation was first reported on thisisreno.com. The new property owner, while rescinding the previous owner's actions, offered to help in any way, but there was no mention on posted notices about helping to find a new place to live. As many as 10 had already been evicted. The reason for the property purchase? To make way for an arts district and affordable housing. As more residents come to the area, housing, similar to pre-recession years, is in demand. Prices for rent and purchase have climbed in the last three years. Michelle Gear is the executive director of the Eddie House, which provides services to homeless youth. Yes, I would say affordable housing in northern Nevada um, is probably one of the primary reasons. Um, we're seeing kids who have experienced um, violence in the home, substance abuse in the home. Uh, we have kids who've been trafficked. Um, it's, I think it comes with uh, you know, certain economics um, and, and the lack of affordable housing. Sometimes our kids experienced homelessness for the first time as infants and that has just been a pattern in their lives. They haven't had that stability. Just about everyone focused on the issue of homelessness in Reno says that affordable housing is one of the biggest factors contributing to homelessness. I mean, when you talk to people who are providing the direct services, the number one thing you hear is housing. It's, it's always housing. That's Aria Overly with Acting Together in Northern Nevada, or ACTION, a faith-based nonprofit that advocates for the poor and homeless. We're seeing um, massive cost of living increases here in Reno, um, along with that massive rent increases. Um, and it's just becoming unaffordable for people to live. I mean, there are studies that show for every $100 that housing or that rent goes up, on average, I mean, homelessness increases by about 15%. Um, and so Reno is not really doing anything to stymie these rent increases. So we're just going to see this problem worsen unless we take proactive steps to do something about it. 
well, I think the the most important one, um, the housing first model has been shown to be extremely successful. When you get people into housing, they're able to solve the other problems that cause their homelessness in the first place. Without housing, it's very difficult to solve those problems. Without housing, it's very difficult to get a job. Without housing, it's very difficult to sleep, seek help for any other issues that you may be facing. So housing first is really the number one priority. Um, and then secondarily, um, decriminalization of homelessness. I mean, right now, um, when you're homeless, you get camp illegal camping tickets. Um, you often get um, targeted by police for jaywalking and things like that. Um, people under the who are living under the freeway who often go there to avoid harassment from other people um, will get evicted and have their things thrown away frequently. I mean, it's almost constant evictions when you're living as a homeless person, just being forced to move from one location to one location to another location almost constantly. Some are being displaced by these economic forces, a point that is not in dispute. In fact, experts have argued that Reno's housing crisis, and it is being called a crisis, is a throwback to pre-recession years. Because with the, the economy growing and jobs being created, we are really seeing uh, a lot of pressures on the housing market, basically because there's not enough supply being uh, built right now to meet the demand. That's Tony Ramirez with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, he is speaking here to the Reno City Council in January of 2017. Though diplomatic in his talk to the city, what he's saying is that Reno's housing problems hark back to more than a decade ago. Because like I said, we've gone through a lot of these processes before. We've had, you know, created plans. We've gotten, you know, people to the point where it's like, yes, this is an issue that's important to us as a community. But we've really never made that commitment to get to that next step, which is basically creating the framework that's necessary to basically move these initiatives forward. Housing prices are climbing fast. The hardest hit by this trend tend to be those at the lowest rungs of the economic ladder. Why housing prices are skyrocketing is not a simple issue. There's a, there's a lot of factors uh, that, that go into housing and how housing is, is priced. Kim Robinson is the executive director of the Truckee Meadows Regional Planning Agency. Over a third of the households in our region are cost burdened. And across our renter spectrum, almost half of our renters are cost burdened. And what I mean by cost burdened is that they are spending more than 30% of their monthly income on housing costs. It can be uh, the salary or wage levels, right? Um, and it can also be the cost of the housing itself. And in our region, quite frankly, it's a mix of both. The cost of not doing anything, however, adds up. Here's developer Ken Crater, who is a member of Operation Downtown, a group of business leaders looking to not only clean up downtown, but to do something about the indigent. Washoe County paid $22 million to Renown for indigent care. $22 million. Renown is a local area hospital. But so when you add all that cost up, it's way cheaper from a tax standpoint to provide these services to keep these people off the street. So again, whether you're a Republican, it makes more fiscal um, uh, sense to do what's right. But from a human being standpoint, in a democratic sense, it makes more sense to do what's right. But the problem isn't so simple. Crater says that simply building affordable residences in Reno is far more cumbersome than in Las Vegas or Elko, Nevada. And our number one priority was to basically provide permanent supportive housing for those folks that don't have housing. And that means that they have access to services they need, counseling, psychiatric services, services for their addictions, whether it be drugs or alcohol, um, medical, uh, dental so 
that's very important, and that was our number one priority. Our second priority was the blight. We just said, you know, it's time to start dealing with the blight in downtown Reno to help attract capital to our community because this is a, a big deal, but most people don't know this. In the state of Nevada, we are the only state to depreciate real property for property tax purposes. Indiana gave it up in 1989. They were the last state, so we're on our own. Therein lies a systemic issue. Compounding the housing problem in Nevada is the state's tax structure. A typical three-pronged tax structure includes sales, income, and property taxes. Nevada joins relatively few states in its absence of a state income tax. That means that local governments rely on property and sales taxes in order to provide services. Ken Crater. My joke is that you can come from California and buy a million-dollar mansion on California Avenue that's over 50 years old and pay less in property taxes than someone that grew up in Reno, worked all their life to save money, and bought a brand-new $400,000 house in Damani Ranch or in Spanish Springs. So that's not right because that million-dollar house has the same demand for services, for school, police, fire, sewer and storm drain, yet they're literally paying less in property taxes than a million-dollar house. Why that is, is not easy to understand at first glance. Meredith Levine is the Director of Economic Policy with the Kenny Gwynn Center for Policy Priorities, a nonpartisan think tank in Nevada. She explains the problem Crater just mentioned. So we talk a lot about a three-legged stool, which are three components that make up revenues that go to the state and local government. So one is property tax, one is sales tax, one is income tax. And in the absence of income tax in the state, we have a two-legged stool in Nevada. Does that mean we are then service poor as far as what local governments can provide? Not necessarily. So the relationship between that is that, you know, at a high level, one would look at it and think, well, you know, the income tax compensates for a lot of the difference. We are more heavily reliant on the sales tax than even on property tax in the state, but it doesn't leave us in a position of a service problem, but there can be a service problem to the extent that sales tax isn't keeping up, for example, depending on our, for say, our level of visitation and how much consumers are spending in the state. And then if property tax is low, then in that case, you have two factors that are combining plus the lack of income tax that can contribute to a lower level of service delivery. And you mentioned there was something else unique to Nevada in regards to property taxes that was uh, found to be unconstitutional, I believe, in Indiana. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct, yes. So the situation is, it, this has to do with valuation of homes and or valuation of property more broadly. And so it's sometimes called the cost approach. It's occasionally called a market hybrid model. And what it is is this. When a property gets valued in the state, the land is valued separately from the what's called the replacement cost of improvements. That's what we would call buildings. And because those are actually valued separately, the value of land is market value, but then the value of improvements has a depreciation factor that attaches 
for a maximum 50-year period at the rate of 1.5% a year. So at the end of a 50-year period, the depreciation is 75% on the replacement cost of improvements. That is an enormous discount for property owners to sort of see that occur over time. So there's a mechanism built in that attaches to a property, and that is singular. Nevada is the only state that has that. The last state that had it was, you are absolutely correct, Indiana, and they did find it unconstitutional, and that was through a series of decisions. And so, you know, the constitutionality question has come up in the state before, but so far, the depreciation factor hasn't been viewed to violate it. West of downtown in Reno, conversations such as these do not ease the burden of those just evicted. In the minds of the former boarding house residents, action is needed now before more end up on the streets. To some, nothing short of a full-scale societal revolution will help. Here is Bernard, who was recently evicted from the boarding house. This is something that's wrong. And everybody wants to pinpoint it so they can pick at the politicians and this, that, and the other. But that's not the point right now. There are people that need some assistance, really need some assistance. We can't get in. I can't find low-cost living. I can't even get senior living because I'm an ex-felon. Does that make any sense? Hey, y'all be glad I'm not out here committing crimes anymore. So, it's just, I don't even like to dwell on it because it just brings back some feelings from the past, past regressions, as they call it. Who wants to deal with it? Mine's buried along with my people, so I'm done. Here is Kim Robinson again. She is optimistic. Absolutely. I 100% believe that this is something that we can, we can tackle. And one of the reasons I think that is part of, you know, the costs of um, a housing unit and being able to live in a certain type of unit is not only the cost of the house or apartment, but also those transportation costs, right? So if we provide, if housing starts to be provided in areas that allow for more transportation choice, say for instance, people can walk more, they can, you know, take Uber, they can use the the transit system, things like that, well, all of a sudden that changes a little bit in terms of how much money is flowing out of that household. So I do think it's something that we can tackle. We took a look we did uh, two housing scenarios in terms of kind of where we grew across our region. One was called the classic scenario, and we basically said, based on how we grew in the last 15 years and the types of houses that we built, so those two factors, and we continued to grow, let's project what that looks like. And then we did one called the McCarran scenario that basically said, let's take 25% of that projected growth, let's put it within the McCarran range. Okay, let's see what the difference is in terms of cost to transportation, to schools, to water, to wastewater. And the answer to that question is it was a savings of almost $780 million based on the pattern of development. Crater, with Operation Downtown, stresses the importance of affordable housing. He says we have to find a solution to Reno's housing crisis. If you look at Reno's history, I mean, the great thing about Reno, it's got a tremendous ability to reinvent itself. You know, we went from ranching and farming to gaming, and now we're going to, you know, warehousing and distribution with more like manufacturing, advanced manufacturing, bringing all these great companies out of uh, Wall Street and the tech land in California. But we've 
also got to be able to provide workforce housing. It's just not the the income or the the housing for the low income. We need the workforce housing so people up to 120 percent of your area mean income can afford to pay rent when they're only making 14 or 15 or 18 dollars an hour. If we don't, we're going to be in a situation where we shut off the economic pipeline because companies that come to town, one of their five biggest questions, and usually in their top two, is where are my employees going to want to live? Solutions is a production of thisisreno.com, Reno's online news and event source. Please download us wherever you play your podcasts. If you like the show or you like the subscription-free daily news and events coverage at This Is Reno, please consider financial support so that we can continue to create quality content. Go to patreon.com forward slash This Is Reno. This episode was written and produced by me, Bob Conrad. Next up on Solutions, Dana Nelsch goes inside Reno's homeless shelter, and we take a look at what services the Reno community provides to its houseless citizens. How can you rediscover your dignity if you're in an old flea bag? I mean, you need to be in a clean, professional setting so that you can rediscover your own. I mean, how long would it, if I go camping, I like to go camping where there are showers. I don't do well without showers. I was just reading a Facebook post and somebody was talking about uh, the city wanting to get rid of the hotels and motels down here and they think it'd be great for the homeless, they think it's great for them. But you don't realize the cost of that is as much as an inexpensive apartment. It's not the cost that's keeping them out of it, it's the the credit and the other things. Right. And that these... Or if they've had an eviction, it's almost impossible to have anyone rent to you ever again. So that's where the real problem is, and I think these small motels, for me, the small motels and hotels, are taking advantage of the situation. Oh yeah, and those motels are owned by some really prominent people here in town. Yes that uh, don't uh, actually realize. Well, I've been in some of those hotel rooms and it's disgusting. Well, I participated in not a dot.